baby. Oh, baby. Opportunity rate, 62nd average. Power success rate, 89th. Oh, daddy's got the vapors. California. Welcome to Chapel Belker, the stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to talk about the other half of this very anticipated Oklahoma game. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma defense and what the UGA offense can do about it. Uh, but very first, before we even get into that, we uh, we talked a little bit about the recruiting game and everything that went into it in our last episode. And I know Nathan had a lot to say about it. And I feel that after this past week of recruiting, Nathan probably has plenty more to say about it. So I'm going yes. to turn it over to you, Nathan. Yeah, I, ha- I have so much to say. And also, I just want to also say that weirdly that like there was a really good really good response to our recruiting talk which is interesting i guess i'm i didn't think i really said anything that interesting but i guess that like not everyone is as like heroin addict plugged into recruiting as i am so Mm -hmm. anyway okay so recruiting (laughs) update holy did it go well so arguably uga had the greatest well UGA definitely had the greatest early signing day in the history of uh, the early signing day because it's the first one, and UGA is currently ranked number one in the 24-7 sports composite. But arguably, this uh, the first day of the early signing day this year was the best um, signing day that UGA of any type that UGA has ever had. So UGA currently has 20 committed players. We got about the rumor is between four and five spots. I'm not sure. I've heard 24. I've heard 25. I'm going to assume five. Anyway, um, we have six pre already signed we have six five stars we have 10 of the top 100 players in the country currently committed uh that would be position wise in terms of like what their rank is overall the number two player the six number six player the 10th 16th 18th 23rd 33rd 39th 50th and 92nd top players in the country all in the same class just for the record uh a really good a really good stat i saw was that um currently luke ford who is a four-star tight end that committed on the second day of the signing of the early signing day. Luke Ford is currently the ninth highest ranked commit in UGA's class and in 112 FBS classes, which is to say all but like the top 10, he would be the highest ranked commit in the class. So the other good news is, so we've got 20, 20 total commits, 10 are in the top 100 of the last 20. There are only, uh, what, two, three stars currently committed, one is Owen Condon, who's an offensive tackle that's kind of a project, but he's six six seven three hundred. He's just sort of developing a project. And the other is Jake Camarda, who is a kicker, um, who is the number sixth overall rated kicker, but would also be the number four overall rated punter if he had gone out on the 24-7 service as a punter. So he is a, an incredible special teams weapon. So him being a three-star doesn't really bother me. Everybody else, other than those two dudes currently committed in the class, is either a four or a five star. Yeah, as of this year, I, I don't have the exact stat, but like I know that. Okay, so like right now we have there's this thing that Bud Elliott does, who is the SB Nation recruiting coordinator, called uh, blue chip ratio, and the idea is basically that to win a national championship, you have to have more than fifty percent four and five stars, right? So currently, UGA's blue, uh, blue chip ratio is like uh, what eighteen over two. So it's like, Jeez. yeah, it's 18. It's absurd. 18 blue, uh, 18 blue chips, two non-blue chips. And we, so we currently have 18 blue chips committed and the rest of the SCC East has something like 16. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a pretty good year so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, 2018 is off to a good start. Yeah. Uh, number one overall ranked class. We might hold it. We might not, but 
we're either going to be one or two, I think, regardless. We got about four or five spots uh, left. And then I think it's very interesting because there, uh, there were – so before early signing day, there were four people who either didn't sign in our class who were previously committed or who decommitted. So Jordan Davis, who's a three-star defensive tackle from um, North Carolina. Tremel Walthour, who is a three-star defensive tackle from Liberty County. He's actually a former high school teammate of um, Richard LeCount. And then Rashad Wildgoose, who is a – uh, he's from Northwestern in Miami, who's Devod Wilson, who is a four-star safety, uh, also committed to us. He's a teammate of Devod's, um, who is a three-star. Rashad Wildjuice is a three-star um, cornerback. So none of those dudes committed. And then Aaron Brule, who is a four-star safety slash cornerback out of Louisiana, decommitted. What I think is telling about all of these is that uh, Brule said that the reason he decommitted was because of circumstances beyond his control, which leads one to hmm. believe that they had that UGA thinks that they have a higher cornerback rated, a higher rated cornerback on the market or that is close to signing than than previously thought. The fact that they didn't sign any of the they, they didn't sign any of the lower ranked cornerbacks or defensive tackles in their class as of right now, and they moved all of them back to February, makes me think that um, those guys have probably been processed out of the class, and UGA is looking to replace them to, with higher ranked commits. So, um, I know you said that we had a request for me to talk about who I thought the last five were going to be, right? That's right in this class. So, um, I think that you got to look at defensive tackle, and you got to look at cornerback i think that they would probably prefer to take one cornerback two defensive tackles and then two flex spots so let's talk about the cornerback i think the cornerback is either going to be tyson campbell or isaac taylor stewart those are two of the top those are number two and number three respectively no isaac isaac taylor stewart is actually two uh tyson campbell is number three overall ranked cornerbacks in the class it looks like that though that UGA thinks it got one of those. It had extended an offer to um, to a cornerback, a four-star cornerback whose name is escaping it right now, who has said that UGA is no longer recruiting him, which makes me think hmm. that UGA thinks that they're going to get one of those two. I actually think Tyson Campbell is going to be one the one that we get, if only because we've been in on him for a long time, and uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, while amazing, is also from San Diego, and it's always harder to pull those kids. Um, yeah, that's a ways away. Yeah, so I would I would lean Tyson Campbell for that. Now, two uh, defensive tackles. I think one that we're going to get is Michael Thompson. He's a four-star defensive tackle. He looked like he was going to be a Missouri commit. He's the number two all overall defensive tackle in uh, the nation. He plays at like 291, 6'5". He's kind of in the prototype more of, think more Trent Thompson and less John Atkins. More of a five technique, quick guy, plays the run. Uh, but mm-hmm. not like not like a big nose tackle, not a Julian Rochester by any means. Weirdly enough, like all of a sudden, and I really don't have any inside sources on this one because he's from St. Louis and I don't know anyone in St. Louis. But all of a sudden, everyone who I know and trust that, you know, on these different websites that I get on that are talking about this have all said that we're just getting this guy. And I mean, I don't really trust like, quote unquote, insiders on boards. But for some reason, everyone, including like the actual people who work at 24-7 and at Rivals, think that he like there's something going on here. Um, this was a guy that Georgia had offered, but had never he never talked about them in his recruitment. No one ever said anything about it. And then he canceled his early signing day recruitment and then hasn't really said anything. And so now I think that we'll probably get him just because there's kind of been a lot of smoke there. I also think we're going to sign Jordan Davis, who is one of our current hard commits who did not actually sign, who's moved to signing date to February. He is more of your nose tackle type. He's 6'6", 330. He's only a three-star. He's from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, but he definitely looks like a guy who, you know, with a good defensive line coach who I think we can, who, who I think we have, 
who can be, you know, a, a good project that will come through in a couple of years. And there's mm-hmm. a little bit, you want to get those bodies in there at defensive tackle, but there's a little bit less um, pressure because we did just get Devonte Wyatt, who had, was a 2017 recruit who had to go to uh, community college in Kansas because he didn't make grades. And Devonte Wyatt not only has signed and committed, he is actually currently practicing with the team at the Rose Bowl. He's six wow. three, 300 pounds. So um, there's a little bit less pressure, but we do need two of those guys. I just don't think both of them need to be ready. Okay, so that gets us to three spots. So I think the last two, I think the last two spots are going to be basically best available player. I've heard twenty four or twenty five. I'm assuming it's going to be twenty five, but either way. And I think what's going to happen is the twenty fourth spot is either going to be Quay Walker or Otis Reese. These are two linebackers. Uh, Otis Reese is looks like I mean. Quay Walker, they're both from Georgia, but it looks like uh, Otis Reese has been leaning Michigan and, and is committed to Michigan but has not signed. But on the other hand, Quay Walker has been leaning Alabama and is committed to Alabama and also has not signed. Both of those guys are guys that have had long relationships, have visited UGA dozens and dozens of times, and both of those guys look like they're going to take an official in January before the, the uh, February signing date. I feel like we mm-hmm. will take one of those two. Quay Walker is the higher rated commit. He is the guy that, if you'll recall, he went to school with um, a 2017 commit, Marcavius Big Cat Bryant, who committed to UGA but eventually ended up signing with Auburn for reasons that I'm sure have nothing to do with money. Quay Walker is a great, a very good player, but I just assumed we weren't going to get him for the longest time, but now it looks like he might be coming back around. But his, his Quay Walker's recruitment has been this entire... It's been incredibly circuitous. He's he's committed to a couple of places. He's leaned this way. He's leaned that way. He said that some people weren't recruiting him, and they were recruiting him, and it's just been a lot of drama. But I think we'll get one of those two. And then as for the 25th kid, like, I honestly have no idea. Um, yeah. I've heard – I think we want a wide receiver. I think – I've heard that Tommy Bush, who is a four-star wide receiver out of Texas – I've heard that he's the guy we're going for. And based on what he's put on social media recently, it looks like that he's leaning UGA. He retweeted a picture of him with like an ugly Christmas sweater with a rose on it that like an edit <laughs> that somebody at UGA had made that was about like UGA being Rose Bowl Brown. And it was like, you know, greetings from Ca- uh, California. Merry Christmas, Tommy. But yeah, Tommy Bush is definitely, he would he would fit a mold that we really don't have. He is, I cannot remember his actual, his I think he's like 6'4", 200 something. He's not... No, he's a little bit he's a little bit lighter. He's going to basically be the guy who fits the Javon Wims, the Javon Wims role in terms of he's tall, he's got great ball spill skills. He's not necessarily like uh an incredible a burner by any means, but oh, he's 6'5", 191. He's not a burner by any means, but he looks like the kind of guy that like, you know, could eventually with the right development replace Javon Wims, which has been a, who has been like a really underrated, very important player for us. He's lanky. That boy's lanky. Yeah, six five one ninety one. It looks like he'll probably all of the latest, uh, all of the. It's really funny because the latest three or four crystal ball, crystal balls for him. At first, it was Baylor, 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 uh, Texas, Texas, Michigan State, and all of a sudden, it's like twenty percent just foggy. Uh, which basically, I think, represents the fact that we didn't get Alante Taylor from Tennessee, and so in the beginning of December, we just went to him like we're and we're like, hey, do you want to play for a team that's in the uh, college football playoffs, or do you want to play for Baylor? So yeah, uh, make your pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like we'll probably get him. So I think that would be the 25th spot. And, you know, there's always a p- possibility that we only get one defensive tackle. So we would take like one of the defensive tackles, one of the linebackers, one of the cornerbacks, and then a wide receiver. I think if we take 25, it'll be two defensive tackles. And, you know, if all of those guys commit um, currently in terms of the actual class rankings, uh, UGA is number one, but Ohio State is at number two. UGA has 310 
um, 0.94 total points with a 93.4 average in uh, on the 24/7 composite, and Ohio State has a 300.49 overall points with a 93.96 average. So basically, Ohio State has 21 um, commits that are counted in their average. Um, mm-hmm. And so they could make up some ground because theoretically they have more people that could commit. But this current like ranking is using UGA's players who have committed that aren't but aren't signed, who we were trying to replace with higher rated commits. So I feel I would say like fifty five percent confident that we will win or that we'll, mm-hmm. you know, be the number one the number one overall recruiting class at the end of the year. I think it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, we've we've had an outstanding recruiting class and I don't even understand how it even happened you might know a bit better uh just kind of how we managed to to kind of come from not even really behind but nobody expected us to be number one yeah well okay so i i actually have some i have some i have some thoughts on this um so i think basically what it what it what it what it boils down to is that so uga like eight months ago in june and july uga was like in the top it was anywhere between like 60 and 30 okay and everybody was like gnashing their teeth everybody's freaking out because we didn't have any big commits and basically what you were hearing at that time was everyone was saying hey calm down this is gonna be a really good class this could be a top five class if everything breaks well a lot of these guys are just waiting to see if uga wins right so i think a lot of projections that like experts were making were based on the idea that uga will win between eight and ten games this year right uh maybe they'll maybe they'll get to 10 games they'll go to the sec championship that will show commits that like you know, UGA is going to play for championships and they're going to be like a real national title contender, mm-hmm. um, especially the five-star commits who want to play for national championships. So I think really the difference between this class being a really good class in the top 10, an excellent class in the top five, which I think would have happened whatever, you know, somewhere in there would have happened whatever the, the results of the season and us being number one overall has a lot to do with what happened on the field. I think the momentum really this class really coalesced like a lot of the extra parts that we got coalesced between December 3rd and the first signing day in the, in that like two week period. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Kirby was able to go on all these in-house visits and have, you know, phone calls and basically just be like reigning sec champion here. Mm-hmm. Kirby smart. Um, and that's the kind of thing that when you come into that last gasp before the signing day with all that momentum, it can really flip some kids around. Um, and you know, I, it was really a crazy day because if you don't follow it that closely, it was like if you had sat down and said, okay, what is our best case scenario? Like if you just asked me to be like, okay, what are the 17 signed letters of like national letters of intent that we could get that would be the 17 best we could get if you were just like having your own masturbatory fantasy at home? I would have probably put 16 of the 17 currently committed guys on this list. Like that's So you're saying it was pretty good. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> we got Channing Tyndall, who's the best player in South Carolina, who goes to high school in Columbia, whose mom is a South Carolina graduate. Jeez. That's the kind of day it was. We got that guy. We got the guy who should have been a surefire best guy in South Carolina's class just because we wanted him. We got Cade Mays. That's my dad, favorite one. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is so good. So much salt about this. Like You could literally like start your own line of uh, beef jerky just with the amount of Tennessee fan salt from this next one. Cade Mays who goes to high school at Knoxville Catholic in Knoxville, Tennessee, whose dad was an all uh, SEC and uh, all American lineman at the university of Tennessee went to Georgia. Okay. But what's ridiculous about that is that that's the number two overall offensive tackle in the nation coming into an offensive line class where there are other, like there are already like two, five stars and two, four stars. And he just decides to commit anyway. He's like, "Eh, yeah, yeah, sure. 
Yeah. Like if you just put left to right the five dudes who we had signed um, at on the offensive line this year, they would make like in a year probably a pretty passable SEC offensive line. It's like two four stars, the number one and number two overall guards, the number two overall offensive tackle, the number 15th overall uh, offensive, offensive tackle, and then like the number 30th overall center. Like <laughs> you could just like run that out there if you had to. Just like here, yeah, we'll just kind of wing it. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of day we had. Anyway, so yeah, that's my recruiting <laughs> spiel. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, the, the Cade Mays flip was one of my favorite pieces of the the whole thing. We followed the Tennessee uh, coaching disaster pretty closely um, up till now, which we really haven't talked about. Jeremy Pruitt is now going to be the head coach. Those of you that haven't actually picked up. Yeah, I mean, I I think Jeremy Pruitt is going to be good. I just think. Oh yeah, he's going to be very good. He's a great coach. He, he's he's a good recruiter. I just don't think he. I think he's coming into a train wreck. You know, he's going to have to just kind of stabilize them. Yeah. Um, that's not the kind of guy you want to put in. I, like, I don't have any real statistical analysis on, on this sort of situation, but Jeremy Pruitt, to me, it seems like the kind of guy that comes into a system that's kind of already lackadaisical and kind of tightens it up just because that's the kind of guy he is. I think you'd need a baseline or something established already to put that kind of person into the situation to like let it succeed. And I don't right. think that's what they have whatsoever. Well, I mean, they're going to have to treat – this is a Bill Connolly thing – they're going to they're going to have to treat this year as a year 0 and just yeah. take any positive sign any positive sign that happens this year even if it's close losses as a sign of like as you know a sign that things are going well does jeremy pruitt have you know any I mean? experience in a year 0 situation he, he, i don't think he does does he um no i mean he doesn't have any head coaching experience at all i mean well, he, I know he that. coached i mean he, he was came just in always the crimson I mean, tide though okay so the book on jeremy pruitt is that he is a really really good coach like he came into he came into uga and he gave us a kick in the pants that we really needed like Mm -hmm. in terms of like updating what was going on like getting us a a, you know better strength and conditioning program having us run like practice in a more efficient manner like getting us an indoor practice facility he was the guy that was behind all that and he's a bang up recruiter and by all accounts he's an excellent defensive mind the problem with jeremy pruitt is that he rubs people the wrong way and there's all sorts of rumors all sorts of rumors and there's there's the kind of rumors where even real reporters will just say like i can't report on that but i've heard a lot about it which means basically it happened but i'm not going to report on it yeah. there are all sorts of rumors about him rubbing people the wrong way and him showing up drunk at mark rick's house i've heard that story i've heard that so story many so many people times independently that something happened right jeremy pruitt yeah. jeremy jeremy pruitt is just like a pissy dude so i mean <laughs> i on the one hand, I think he's going to be successful because I think he's an excellent coach. But on the other hand, it's like this is Tennessee. Like yeah. if you turn them, they're like they'll they'll eat your entrails. So like I, I don't really know. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm very intrigued to see kind of just follow the whole mess, <laughs> even yeah. further than we already have. I'm excited I mean, about it. All right, so let's. Uh, Twenty-two minutes into the podcast, let's talk about this little thing that's happening in a couple of <laughs> let's days. Let's talk about football, just a little, uh, just a little okay, football. Yeah. So, like we said at the very beginning of the episode, we were going to talk about. Uh, a little bit of Oklahoma. We started our last episode with talking about Oklahoma's offense, which is really the piece of the football team that is, is a bit more noteworthy, uh, especially led by Baker Mayfield. But we're going to talk about their defense. A lot of people are kind of saying that this defense is a, a true Midwestern defense. You know, it's, it's it's the other half of the ball to a spread offense, meaning yeah. it just really doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's a, like it, it's, a, it's a defense that just gets you a couple of spots or stops so that you can score 45 and win. Exactly. And so yeah. 
that that's great and all. That's really important uh, to understand at the the very least. And if we were any sort of podcast that was you know satisfied with just the baseline analysis, UGA podcast, then we'd be yeah. okay with that. But we're not. And so we're going to deep dive into that defense and understand why it's that way and how we can pick that apart as we do and understand where the real weaknesses are. So, okay, let's talk about narratives first, because I think you're right. It's important to kind of talk through some narratives. I mean, it's very, very interesting because like the number one narrative you hear around this game is just people loving Baker Mayfield. You know what I mean? And he deserves Mm -hmm. that or whatever. Yeah. But it seems like overall the media world is leaning OU. Um, like people in the media think that OU is going to win. Some of them think they're going to win, think that OU is going to win comfortably. And a lot of the sharps, like gambling people like UGA. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I take that for what it's worth. Um, but in terms of like Oklahoma's defense, it seems like Oklahoma, all of their media, like I've been reading a lot about the media day stuff and they really seem to be trying to like put play with like a chip on their shoulder. It's really bizarre. Cause it's like, they're the number three ranked team in the nation or no number two ranked team in the nation. And they have the Heisman Trophy winner. And yet they're talking about how they've been disrespected because they're a one-point underdog to the number three-ranked team. Yeah, Oklahoma... It's really weird. It's it's very odd, especially since we talked about it in our last and, episode, how they're the most winningest team in the last 80 yeah. years. Yeah, and I have a... Defi- uh, they have, like, a really good player. They have a... Whose name I, I can't... For the life of me, I cannot pronounce. Um, I, I could tell you his name, but it wouldn't sound right. So... Um, they have a really uh, good player who's a defensive end and who's like, you know, a senior defensive captain. And he was talking today at their media days and he was just talking about how like no one thinks we're good and no one disrespects us. You know, they, they, everybody's been, everybody's been disrespecting us and nobody knows how we can really play. And it's like, has, who's been saying that? <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? Can you direct me to that person, please? So that we can um, correct him. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm about to be that person because I'm going to say that they're not good. <laughs> that guy's name, by the way, is Ogbanyu Okoronkwo. O- yeah. Ronquo, yeah he's really good he has uh 17 and a half uh tackles for loss this year and eight sacks he's probably you know if you're just going to come at this from like an old school like your drunk uncle football fan perspective <laughs> that's probably the name that you know from uh o- o- oklahoma's defense well you know of the name you don't actually know the name because you don't know if you're the a name, drunk no. uncle there's no way you can say that name yeah, um, he's real good though i, I do want to say before you go any further that his tackles and kind of his stat line is pretty similar to our next best defensive player after Roquan Smith, which is J.R. Reed, which uh, that feels good. That's all right with me because Roquan Smith, you can't you you can't even compare anything to Roquan Smith with 93 tackles on the year. He's doing all right. God, I love Roquan Smith so much. I just I like I, I, I totally lost my train of thought because I was thinking about how much I love Roquan Smith. Okay. <laughs> So, um, but let's talk about, you know, so those are the narratives I think that are in place right now, but let's talk about what the actual defensive numbers tell us. So if you run down UJ or if you run UJ, Jesus, if you run down Oklahoma's five <laughs> factors ranks, um, they are 58th in efficiency on defense. They're 108th in explosiveness. They are 49th in field position. They're 88th in finishing drives. They have a, we talked about this last time, but they have a slightly positive turnover luck, but nothing really to write home about those. Are, that's the five factors of an utterly averaged, well, actually like a, bottom three quarter quartile team right Mm -hmm. that is not the that is not the bottom quartile of the bell curve but that is in the left quartile on the on the curve of the bell curve and in the middle of that uh quartile it's like dead in the middle of that so this is just like a a, an utterly average bad defense (laughs) if we just look at those numbers like if you just took all the all the other numbers away you took away oklahoma and you just put those numbers down in front of me rank wise that's what i would say right this is a team that can be basically pretty efficient they can do a decent job at keeping you you know behind the chains but also they're going to give up a lot of big plays yeah right and so it 
that's kind of how I want to approach this is like blind taste test wise as we go through these stats. Um, cause I think it kind of builds me to the point I want to make about this. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we go down, I mean, let's, let's, let's run down and break down some of these other numbers here. Like when we break down into rushing and passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, diving right into the passing defense. I mean, it, it's pretty standard from top to bottom when you're talking about passing or rushing defense for this team. But the passing defense, the S&P Plus overall is 52nd. Uh, their passing success rate is 59th. Their passing ISO PPP is all the way down at 113, and their adjusted sack rate is 51. So yeah, that matches up very well with their five factors, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like they're they're average to below average at most things, and they're bad at sending explosive plays. Which you know yeah. you could say that's well, okay, that's like that's a, what a decent Big 12 defense does. But I think that we can drill down on those numbers a little bit more, especially when we look at the rushing numbers. Right, rushing S and P plus sixty second, so average. Rushing success rate sixty first, average. Rushing ISO PPP seventy first, average. Adjusted line yards eighty seven. Oh baby, <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> baby. Opportunity rate sixty second, average. Power success rate eighty ninth. Oh, daddy's got the vapors. Uh, stuff <laughs> stuff rate sixty seventh or sixty second. So, you know, this is a team that is. Like I, like we said, that all kind of just fits in with what they do, right? It's like they, they seem to be pretty good at, you know, they'll make you earn yards. You're going to have to go, you you know, you're going to have to really work to get what you get against them. But when you blow a big play, it's going to be a really big play. And yeah. those big plays are going to happen relatively, relatively quickly. So, you know, I mean, before this, but off air, we were talking about like, so what's the comp on this team, right? Mm-hmm. Um like the the offensive comp is the best team in the nation so there's not really anybody to compare them with that we've played right the closest thing you can get to them offensively is auburn and they're significantly better than auburn yeah but what's the defensive comp to this team and here's the sad thing it actually <laughs> might a be a few of them yeah <laughs> here, here's the here's the really sad thing the defensive the, like if you just look at the raw numbers like i said if you like you know coke diet coke pepsi diet pepsi taste test this thing and you say like okay so what do these numbers give us in terms of a comparison for a defense that UJ has played this year. Hmm. So when I was looking through the raw numbers, I was like, well, it's crazy because Appalachian State looks like one of the comparisons, right? Hmm. And then I pulled up the actual defensive S&P Plus rankings, and Appalachian State is significantly better than this team. Oh, yeah. Even adjusted for opponent. That's crazy. That's crazy, yeah, man. Way the better. real comparison to this, to this team really compares favorably to somewhere between better than, uh, better than Kentucky but worse than South Carolina. Ugh, and we all know how those games turned out. <laughs> yeah, so look at so look at those three teams I just mentioned: South Carolina, Kentucky, um, yeah. Appalachian State. UGA had over 250 run yards or rushing yards against all three of those teams. Hmm. There's nothing about this breakdown. There's nothing about the way that you look at these stats that that makes me think that anything other than that is going to happen. Now we might not win this game. I'm not saying we're going to, but this idea that like you know OU's defense is actually pretty good and they play in the big 12 and so everybody scores a lot of points you can't really look at those numbers it's like nope nope (laughs) they really about yeah it's really not what's going on here I mean and I and I think really one of the key stats that I wanted to point out here if if you look at their defensive footprint standard down run rate okay so standard down run rate is not actually about their defense it's about the offenses they've faced so like what percentage of defense or what percentage of the offenses that they faced ran on standard downs which is like you know early running downs okay they are 105th in the nation in that stat which means Ugh. that they are not used to what which means it doesn't say anything about how good they are defending but it says that only like 10 teams have faced fewer rushes on standard downs than they have yeah they're not good right? at a run first offense well they well they just haven't played them 
have yeah. played them. And if you look at the people that they had trouble with, they gave up 35 points to Kansas State. Kansas State is like a power running team that has some RPO concepts. You know who also is a power running team that runs RPO concepts? With I don't five-star know. players? Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I just can't. I, I mean, look. There's a world in which UGA loses this game, and if UGA loses this game, it won't shock me. You tip your hat, you say Baker Mayfield did well, and you move on. But the idea, if you hear a narrative out there, and it's been around, if you hear this narrative from Oklahoma fans and from pundits that somehow, you know, this defense knows how to hit, and they have a good defensive end, and like, you know, watch out for them, they're actually better than you think. Sure, they had six decent games in the middle of the season. They had a, they did very well in holding TCU and Oklahoma State to around 20 points. Good job. Mm-hmm. But they gave up 35 points to Kansas State. And if you're going to compare offense to offense, which one of those experiences is closer to what they're facing in Georgia? It's definitely Kansas State. Yeah, all these scoring margins are so slim. Like, there there are very few games in the year that they actually blew people out. Well, that's why they're the seventh-ranked team in S&P Plus, because they haven't gotten a lot of credit for blowing people out, because they haven't been able to blow people out, because they've had to score a lot of points. Yeah, they just have to outscore their opponent, essentially, yeah. If you look at their standard de- uh, at their success rate, like situationally, uh, standard downs and passing downs. So seventieth S and P plus on standard downs, seventieth success or sixty ninth success rate, a hundredth ISO PPP, ninety third standard down line yards for carry. Justin, ninety oh, third standard down line yards for carry. Justin, those vapors you were talking about earlier, I'm getting them. Uh, <laughs> so basically, what that means is that on first and ten. They are the 93rd worst team in terms of how many easy yards they give up just from the offensive line. They are so bad against efficient teams is the thing. Like, we're not necessarily good at, well, we are. I was going to say, we're not necessarily good at, like, keeping within standard downs, but we're pretty all right at it. Our efficiency is still what? Uh, You can look at our standard down S&P Plus by by situationally. Oh, that's true, too, yeah. I mean, what is our standard down? Our standard down offensive S&P Plus this year (laughs) is seventh yeah so that's, our standard that's... down success rate 23rd our standard down iso ppp rate fifth our standard down line yards per carry 14 Jeez. and that's something we've talked about so consistently across the whole season something has to give here yeah and i think that it's it's just going to be the the team that is more efficient is going to win the game and that's something that's so asinine to say i i feel just because it's it's like saying like the team that scores the most points wins right, the game right, right, but it's true right. like the team that's going to be the most efficient is going to win this game because we know this is going to be a shootout which is weird to say because we don't get into many shootouts but this will be a shootout and whoever as stupid as it sounds stops the other team more is going to win this game like if we stop yeah. them just once like one good stop and we're able to turn over the ball i think that's a win yeah um we can talk more about this i don't want to get too much into our predictions yeah, yeah. yeah but i think i think you're i think you're onto something and i think what's going to be interesting is there's basically two ways to do a shootout right the, the one way is to just throw it all over the field and bomb it deep and the other mm-hmm. way is just to it's going to be very contrasting philosophies in terms of how you create a shootout right because the way Baker Mayfield is going to try to have a shootout is he's just going to do what Baker Mayfield does. He's going to throw long bombs. He's going to roll out of the pocket. He's going to make people be undisciplined because he's going to buy time and he's going to make you defend the field for, you know, six, seven seconds. Even, you know, we, on the other hand, are going to run it up the gut, run it up the gut, run it up the gut, and then do a toss sweep to the outside. Mm -hmm. I would be, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, they know that that's what we're going to do. So I could see us coming out in the first lot in the first drive and trying to throw a little bit more, throwing in some play action. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I think when like the rubber meets the road and we really need to score points, I think that's what we're going to do. We're just going to lean on what we have. And I have I don't see anything in these numbers defensively that tells me that like that's going to be a problem. No, there's no way. I mean, there. I can't even think about like the best running back core they've probably played all year is Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State scored 52 points on them, sure. Yeah, or Kansas State, who scored 35. Or Kansas State, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm just not super yeah. worried about it. Yeah, and know. so I think the problem the problem is going to be is if we get into – it's one thing to get in a shootout in terms of points. The problem is going to be if we get into a track race where it's just like big play, big play, big play, big play. That's when it starts to be concerning. I think we're going to get points. And I think, wait, like you said, like defense, I think you said whoever's the most efficient is going to win. And I actually think the real answer is whoever is the most defensively efficient. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield is going to get his. Baker Mayfield is probably going to score 30 on us. Yeah. Right. The question is, is he having to do those in 12-yard drives? And is he occasionally having to punt or settle for a field goal? Uh-huh. If we can just, like you said, if we can do that one or two times, make him settle for a field goal or make him punt, we got a good chance. And if we can weather the storm, because they are they are they come out of the gates white hot, um, offensively. So it's like if we can come out of the first quarter and we are less than two touchdowns down, you should feel like we're in a good place. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be all right. Yeah, not so bad at all. But it'll definitely be a high scoring game. I definitely think this this game will cover the spread. It's going to be an interesting game. I'm we're getting so much closer to it. I'm still starting to freak out. I, I start to freak out about this point in the episode every every single week. We're just like, we're talking about the numbers. I'm like, it could go well. It could go poorly. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm totally at peace. I'm zinned out. You're at peace. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the exact opposite. Like I start freaking out well after my peace. The more and more stressed out I go, I get, and my wife will tell you this, the more stressed out I get uh, until, well, publicly. When I'm in public and I get stressed out, my reaction is usually to become less and less emotive. So mm-hmm. by game time, I will look like an effing statue. <laughs> um, in fact, I am probably going to make the picture that I post with this just the picture of me at the Notre Dame game staring into the distance. It's a good while one. There's two kids in front of me looking happy. Um, <laughs> and I, here's why I feel zen. It, I just, we can talk about the numbers all we want, but like philosophically, uh, this is what you want, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't. I feel so lucky. I feel so happy that we're here. I feel so fortunate that we are alive and Georgia fans at a time when the season has happened that it's like, you know, I know I get the whole like, well, you never know when we're going to be back. And that's true. You know, who knows what can happen next year? We could have injuries. We could have whatever. A lot of things could happen that could mean that next year and the following years, we never get back to this point. But it's like, you got to appreciate that we're here right now. You know what I mean? And so like, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. And as long as that is the case, I'm going to be, I'm not going to say I'm going to be happy if we lose, but I'm going to be, I'll be, I'll be happy about the season. Yeah. You could be more upset. Yeah. We'll always have 2017. Here's the thing. I don't really hate, I honestly, like, I don't really hate uh, Oklahoma. No. Like I hate Auburn and I hate Florida and we beat both of them. Like really hate, 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 hate. So like. So things if can we be lose worse. To them, it'll feel bad, but then we'll just lick our wounds. We'll just lick our wounds and talk about our number one overall recruiting class, and it's like, okay, see you guys next year, maybe. Actually, yeah. not Baker Mayfield's graduating. Oh well, that's true. Uh, All right, so what's our next segment here? Um, let's talk about stats worth highlighting. I know you put some together. You want to run through? I guess we've already kind of talked about it. We, I guess, this is an all right segue going from uh, whether or not we think we're going to win or not, but. Bill Connolly himself on footballstudyhall.com has UJ winning at 55% of the the times that this game has been simulated. There's a 
2.2 projected margin uh, with the final score projected at 34.2 to 32 with UGA coming out on top. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's not too crazy. That's like we said, like if you factor in all of the all those simulations, it probably comes a little bit less than the, the three points um, that would come from a field goal and stopping Oklahoma um, and just giving them a field goal because I think that's probably what's going to happen. This game is going to be decided on whatever team stops the other one from scoring a, a full touchdown and just getting points in a field goal or getting lucky on turnovers. Um, right. And so that's not too far-fetched, I think. Yeah, I, I, stats worth highlighting were really just their entire run defense. We were just talking about the way Georgia plays and the way Georgia wins is tiring that team out, tiring them out until they can't stop our run game anymore. And it seems like this is a team that is less inclined to stop our, our run offense from the, like the get go. And so the fact that we have five just fantastic, basically start anywhere running backs on the field that are going to be able to rotate through and play all, all this game is just gonna, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic, and we're going to tire them out real fast. I feel it's going to be it's going to be a good day. Yeah, I, defensively, I don't see them. I mean, I, we'll punt, I know, but like they're not going to make us. We're not going to. I don't think they're going to have a lot of stuffs on the game. They might yeah. get some sacks. They might get some turnovers, or whatever. That might be the difference in the game. But I don't see them holding us down to like seventeen points. No, if they, there's if, no way. If if they win this game, it'll be like I feel like if Oklahoma wins, it's going to be like forty two thirty five or like thirty eight thirty five or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, another big thing you did mention earlier, you think that Jake Fromm's probably going to come out of this game, um, at the very beginning, probably passing more because they're going to expect us to be running more standard downs are yeah. going to be more run plays, but it's the old Mississippi state concept. Exactly. And I think that'll be, that'll, we'll, we'll benefit from that, that decision really well. If we do come out of the gate, um, passing more so because like we already touched on the, our passing ISO PPP at this point is 16th and the Oklahoma mm-hmm. defense is 113. So complete polar opposites almost and i cannot be more excited about that for jake from another parallel we can draw from that is the missouri game where we scored 52 points and put up 654 yards on the day i'd take that yeah i I would take winning 52 45 that'd be fine fine with with me i'm at peace with it so let's talk about what we want to see just getting into different things um do you want me to go first you want do you want to go first i can go first that's fine um things i want to see they're a little bit less statistical i feel but they're more general big pieces besides baker mayfield you don't hear about very often are are people like they have a fullback and dimitri flowers is uh really solid he is um great at blocking and he is fantastic at catching balls and just running through people he's huge they also have a tight end mark andrews they use a tight end really well on this team throwing in a bunch of double slants i saw a bunch of weird plays that you wouldn't necessarily see in other teams that aren't running a spread offense but they use a tight end very very well he is also freaking quick so one of the things i definitely want to see is is being able to respond and just answer a team that utilizes a fullback in the tight end well, which I don't think we've seen a lot of tight ends. We use our tight end all right. Um, I know that's something we've wanted to talk about is that everybody says uh, one of the narratives that's floating around is that UJ needs to utilize their tight end more so. And we did that a little bit in the Auburn game. But, yeah, um, but Mark Andrews is basically their number one wide receiver. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah, he is absolutely their number one wide receiver. And he is the one catching all the balls um, all day, every day, it seems. So we definitely need to contain Mark Andrews. We need to, to do something about Dimitri Flowers, whether that is just tiring him out while he is... Um, blocking blocking and just keeping him from running in the field because i i imagine that's probably what's going to happen is that roquan smith is going to play up all day um yeah and and that's yeah. pretty much just going to answer that dimitri flower situation i hope 
mm-hmm. you have a little bit more talking about our defensive package and how we're going to answer these things, I think. Yeah, so this isn't something – this is kind of what I want to see, but this is just what I think we'll do. I think we'll come out in the four-two-five a lot, um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. We, we play in a three-down front normally, but so I think what we'll do is we'll take the nose tackle out. We'll do – we'll have – uh, a five technique and maybe a nose tackle, but probably just like a five and a three. And then we will shift our offensive linebackers either down, like into the nominal defensive end spots. So that that'll allow us to rush three or have technically three down linemen and then have, you know, roll out if it's, if coverage calls for it, roll Lorenzo Carter into um, coverage. And then also that allows us to keep Davin Bellamy on, um, that allows us to keep Davin Bellowy and Lorenzo Carter on the field. And I'm, my thought with that is just basically that you want to have your best players on the field and both of those guys can run. And if we go into dime, you know, that that puts us in a situation where we're running out Tyreek McGee, who is a great player, but like you don't want him to play against Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think out of that 4-2-5, what we'll do is we'll just try to play really de- disciplined in the back end. We'll put Roquan Smith to spy Baker Mayfield, and we'll just basically try to get in Baker Mayfield's uh, face and hold up as long as we can. I don't expect to see a lot of blitzing. I actually expect us to be pretty conservative in terms of just like rushing three or four every time, trying to get in his face that way, and occasionally bringing like I, I expect us to blitz, but only bring four men total, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. bring a corner blitz and then like rotate the safety over and put lorenzo carter in coverage or you know something like that uh if we do blitz at all i would say that you know the only other thing other than that that i want to see is just the number one thing we have to do you know we, we talked about efficiency and defensive efficiency before and how important that is but i think the way that manifests on the field tactically is we just have to play not a clean game it's this is not a game where it's like oh well we can't have any we can't have any penalties what i want to see is a game where we just play disciplined and that, that's different than clean. Like, we can yeah. get some dumb penalties, but I want I want us to see, you know, defensive backs sticking to wide receivers. You want to see uh, defensive ends not losing contain on the run. You want to see defensive tackles shedding blocks and not over-pursuing. Basically, just, like, the way that this team wins, the way Baker Mayfield wins is, you know, when you flush him out of the backfield, he runs around and just waits for someone to get open. So, like, the, the there's two things you can do about that, right? You can either have such a good pass rush that he can't do that, or... You can just not let his guys get open, right? So, like, honestly, I feel like that that's going to be our – what we're going to try to do is kind of what – this is kind of very similar to what Iowa State did. Iowa State just, like, rushed for, played discipline, and stayed in his passing lanes. Uh-huh. And they had a good enough inside linebacker, a guy named Joel Lanning, who used to be a um, – he used to actually be a quarterback – uh, who could just run around and kind of like harass Baker Mayfield, even if he wasn't getting sacks. And it's like, if only we had an inside linebacker who was like the quarterback of the defense, who was somewhat uh, athletic. Where can oh, we wait. find one by the first? Yeah, we, we <laughs> totally have that. So um, yep. it feels like that we've kind of talked around this a lot. So let's just go ahead and talk about what our predictions are. Or do you want, sure. no, let's do over-unders. I'm sorry. Let's do over-unders. Let's do over-unders. We go to predictions, yeah. yeah, talk to me about over-unders. I guess in the... While we're already talking about defense, I want to talk about Dominic Sanders. I think this is going to be a game where Dominic Sanders really shines. At least he's got to shine. In our last episode, we talked about the uh, a lot of the factors that were all common denominators and the five losses that Baker Mayfield has suffered in the, his last three years at Oklahoma. And one of those was um, two interceptions. He had two interceptions on all five of those games. And I think that that was definitely a piece of what led to his loss. So I'm thinking that Dominic Sanders... By himself, we'll have two interceptions on this day. Over, under. Holy hell. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say under. Think so? Yeah. Only only because, like, think that I only say under because I feel like that 
it's just more likely that if we have two interceptions that it comes from two different people. Yeah. I think that's I probably think you can, I think too. one I think I would like peg it at one. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll probably say under two, but I really like I want I want a few different players to be kind of the heroes of this game. And I think it's definitely gonna be from the defense, and I think Dominic Sanders stands a good chance of being one of those heroes of this game. So um, I will say under just a because it does make most sense statistically speaking that it'll it'll probably be moved around. But um, yeah, what do you got? Um, let me think. Well, I already have these. Um, I'm just gonna pick which ones. <laughs> Over under two point five Oklahoma punts. They're averaging two on the year. Yeah, God, that's insane to me that they're averaging two on the year. I'll say over. Okay. I think uh, it's tough to say because I know they're averaging about eighty plays, um, somewhere in like the ten to eleven range when it comes to possessions. Uh, and most of those, like you said, have been scoring opportunities where they have been successfully scored. It's tough to say. I'm looking down all their, their points right now, everything they've kind of had. It's it's around seven scores most games. I'm going to say over just because I think they will have three punts. Yeah, I'll say over two because I think that we're going to have the ball a lot, which just means they're going to have a lot of drives. Yeah. I think this could be very well be a game to where somehow like the Oklahoma defense comes to play and the uj defense as we already know never stays home and so there i think there will be more punts than we think and it, it could very potentially be a lower scoring game than any of us really thinks like you and i have both kind of talked about it being somewhere in the 40s and we'd even be okay if it were like a, a 54 40 something game right. but I, there's i mean there's still a good chance that it's it's in the low 30s which well, means there's, the there's gonna be like, more punts like you were saying we could we could um we could have three punts and have yeah, ha- they could score 30 points and like they could have three punts and still score over 30 just because yeah. they can they have the ball that much because they're one of those teams that score so quickly that they end up having the ball a lot mm-hmm. even if they don't have like time of possession they just run a lot of plays so i could definitely i, I that's what i think will happen I, i'm taking over too it's it's actually actually not that bad if they have if we have more punts or they have more punts it's not that so bad because we've already talked about how bad they are against the uh, explosive play and that's essentially everything that punts are. Um, their special team S&P plus rank is uh, is is ranked fifty sixth right now. Fifty sixth. What's ours? I'm pretty sure it's still one. I think it might be as well. Yeah, it's still one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you got McCall Hardman catching the ball, good down the man. Field, it's pretty good. So yeah, there's that. UGA combines for four sacks on the day, which is uh, so you'll notice something if uh, anybody has listened to our last episode on the Oklahoma game. Um, my three over-unders all have to do with the three magical pieces that I wrote about having to do with, um, there were the three common denominators with all five losses. They were sacks four sacks, turnovers. sacks. Yeah. There were two interceptions on Baker Mayfield. There were four sacks with Baker Mayfield at least. And then, um, my very last one was going to be, uh, they were held to less than a hundred yards of rushing, but this one specifically is, uh, will you combine UJ's defense for four sacks on Baker Mayfield? Under. Under? Yeah, I think I think if we get sacks, it's going to be coverage sacks because I don't think we're going to blitz. Mm-hmm. So I think we might luck into three, but I can't see us lucking into four unless their offensive line just has an off night. Who knows? See, that's what that's what I'm worried about is that I don't know. You even mentioned earlier that we either have to be in the backfield with Baker Mayfield making a run around, and, which is how we would get sacks, or we have to keep their receivers uh, covered, which right. they have. These might be some of the fastest receivers we've played against all year, and this is probably. Yeah. Auburn has a spread offense to an extent, um, so we could draw some comparisons there. But this is definitely going to be the fastest, like, wiriest kind of offense we've played all year. Yeah. So I yeah. think we'll probably be in the backfield more often than we would be covering these receivers. But mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Is that crazy? I mean, I don't think it's crazy. It just feels less likely to me. Okay. Just because I, I their offensive line's pretty good. It is pretty good. I'm. It does. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like. I don't laugh at you for saying that. No, no, no. Here's no, no. one that. Here's another one that. This is the, here's an over under that is just more about my own personal fetishes. Um, over under eleven Raquan Smith tackles. Oh, that's. I think that's fine. I'd say push. I think that's that's very doable. What did he have? I'll he be had eleven honest. tackles on the Auburn game, right? Yeah, I'm gonna take over, and if you told me 35, <laughs> I would I would take over because I love him. Uh, last piece is Oklahoma held to less than 120 yards rushing. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take under 120. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I just I, I think we might push them more, and Baker Mayfield will take the. I think what'll happen is that we'll put, give them enough a run that Baker Mayfield will feel like he needs to take it into his own hands. I'm hoping he does. And those of you who who aren't aware, we are at uh we've held teams this year to 113 yards rushing um, on average. So 120 yards is above, but this is a more explosive team. It's a team that's going to get their yards. So I hope yeah. that we push Baker Mayfield to have to feel like he has to take the game in his own hands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll say under as well. One last one for me: over under one turnover in any way from Baker Mayfield. I'm going to say over because it lends to the rest of my predictions <laughs> i'm really yeah i'm I'm hoping there's a there's a really clutch fumble i'll take over too over but i don't like it <laughs> i don't like i don't like taking over no i think it's i think it's perfectly reasonable i think that i i think that he'll combine for for two on the day i think there's an interception and a fumble like my gut feeling says there will be two fumbles um uh, only one of them will be recovered I don't know. I have nothing to base that on whatsoever. But <laughs> well, we recover fifty percent of the, you on average recover fifty percent of the fumbles. Yeah. But other than that, I don't have really any any basis to to kind of base or anything to other base than, that on other than just no. Like, I could see that. You know, I he's feel running it. around a lot. He's running yeah. around a lot. So that makes sense. Okay, let's talk about predictions. Here we are, fifty yeah. minutes in. Finally, let's okay. give them what they want. Give the people what they want. <sighs> um, I definitely think that it is going to be a, a, a touchdown, 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 touchdown kind of game, and then. I, I want to think that later on in the game, we will be ahead. They'll be trying to catch up. They'll score a field goal somewhere in there. And my perfect mm-hmm. dream scenario is that the end of the game comes with the Oklahoma offense on the field and they fail to get the last touchdown to win the game. Like they're going to be driving to win the game at 42-38 and they're not going to be able to finish up. So I just gave you my 42-38, but I, I definitely think it's a I think it's a 42-38 UGA win with... Um, us getting that last stop to give them a field goal and then their scoring drive just fails. Okay. I think it is 28-31 in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma. And I think that's because we haven't really been able to stop them all night. Maybe they punted once, but we got them to turn one touchdown critically into a field goal. Um, so they're they're up, you know, three in the fourth quarter. I just have a feeling that what will happen is we will just run the ball down their throats 15 times and win the game. That's what this feels like to me. So I'm going to say 35-31 There it is. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were saying it was a 31-28 Oklahoma win. I was like, wow, this is no, the no, first no. time we've ever no. disagreed. Here's the thing. I think we very good and, we very good and well could lose this game. I even, I even think it's close to a coin flip, which I think most people who are smart would say it is. But I'm going to dance with the girl that brought me. <laughs> this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. You can send us basically anything you want, and we will usually read it on air or respond to it in some way, uh, form or fashion. 
Also, go check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com. It's a hub for all of our new content, blog posts, episodes, Twitter feeds, and anything else we find relevant throughout the week. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Facebook, any of those things, anything you can leave a review on, really. Uh, we will also read those on air. And until next week, or really not even until next week, until the 1st, you can catch us in the Classic City. And until the 30th, you can catch Nathan in the Classic City. And then he's headed off to Pasadena. Um, Pasadena! <laughs> and until then, go, go dogs. dogs.